It's What's the Point from 538. My name is Jody Avergan, and our series of mini conversations about the 538 Gun Deaths Project wraps up now. We've been talking to seven writers in seven days about who dies from guns in this country and how to prevent gun deaths. It's been a really inspiring project, one of the most ambitious 538 has ever done, so I encourage you to go check it out online if you haven't. Now, the last conversation is with our writer, Maggie Kurth Baker, and that'll come in a minute. But first, I have to take care of some business, as I always do on this podcast, and tell you about this week's sponsor, which is, perhaps you've heard me talk about them on other podcasts, it is Me Undies. Me Undies is the world's most comfortable underwear, and comfortable underwear is really important. Chances are you are wearing underwear right now. But how comfortable is it? Every pair of MeUndies is made from sustainably sourced modal, a fabric that is twice as soft as cotton. Nothing can describe the fit and feel of MeUndies, but once you try it on, you'll understand why they're called the world's most comfortable underwear. And if you don't love your first pair, they're free, no questions asked. Shipping is free in the U.S. and Canada, and you can save up to $8 a pair with the MeUndies subscription plan. Right now, whether it's the subscription plan or just trying a single pair, you can get 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com slash WTP. That's WTP for what's the point. MeUndies.com slash WTP for 20% off your first order. Again, that's MeUndies.com slash WTP. And now I'm just going to make this transition back to the conversation. It'll be fine. And we're going to wrap up our series on the 538 Guns Project. So here is my chat with Maggie Kurth Baker. Maggie Kurth Baker, uh, one of the writers who contributed to this guns project. Welcome back to What's the Point? Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I've been asking everyone who participated in this to kind of talk about the slice of uh, gun deaths, the overall gun deaths that you looked at and how you started reporting it out. But you... um, you looked at accidental deaths, but put that in context for us. How, how many accidental deaths are there and how does it compare to the rest of, of gun deaths in America? So this is kind of a complicated question to answer, actually, um, because according to the CDC, there are a little over 500 accidental gun deaths in 2014. But that number is probably wrong. We don't know exactly how wrong it is. And so what I ended up reporting on was less about what causes accidental deaths and more about why we have such a hard time keeping track of the number of accidental gun deaths that happen. I found that to be a really interesting subject, uh, you know, partly because getting that number right is really important to the process of trying to figure out how to prevent accidental gun deaths. Because if you don't know the exact number of gun deaths that there are in a given state from one year to another, then you have a really hard time making a comparison if somebody changes their laws about whether or not that law change actually did anything. But it's also interesting in that accidental gun deaths are this thing that we talk about a lot. You know, it's in the newspapers a lot. It's on our minds a lot. We, you know, I'm I'm a parent of two small children, and it's something that I know a lot of parents of small children are terrified of. But even though we don't know the exact numbers, we do know that it's a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of all the gun deaths in America. It's something, you know, 
even if you doubled the amount of accidental gun deaths, it would still be like less than 5% of all gun deaths. Mm -hmm. You know, at at the current rate, it's like 1.6% of all gun deaths. It's so small. When I first started reading your piece, I thought, and I suspect maybe you had a similar thought, which is like, oh, I know what an accidental gun death is. That seems like a pretty straightforward thing. And then all of a sudden you actually, and, and in your piece, there are all these, there are all these examples that you pose to the reader and, and, and ask, you know, if someone is playing Russian roulette and they shoot themselves, does that count as a suicide or an accident? Is it a natural death or an unnatural death? If a kid finds a gun and is playing cowboy with his brother and accidentally fires it, I just used the word accidentally, but is that an accidental death or is that homicide and is that is that negligence on the part of uh, the, the parent? You know, So it really is complicated and I guess part of my question is did you start to learn any lessons about what really should be classified as accidental but then also like what – why does it matter? Is it, is, it a, is it a legal thing? Is it a public health thing? Like why do we actually need to know whether something's – an accident or a suicide or a homicide in this way? Well, we need to know what to classify a gun death as because, you know, that's just how we keep track of the data. If you just had this big giant lump of gun deaths and no information about what the circumstances behind them were, then it would be even harder than it already is to understand, you know, what factors in society have changed and how they affect gun deaths, what laws change and how they affect gun deaths. You kind of need to have that broken down into circumstances so that you can even start to make sense of what you have. But the problem is that the people, you know, the, the, the system and the people that do that job of breaking down the circumstances behind a death come from two very different disciplines. And those disciplines think about the deaths in different ways. So at the point when somebody dies, if there's an autopsy, which there usually is in uh, in gun deaths, they get seen by either a medical examiner or a coroner. And medical examiners are always doctors. Coroners aren't. Coroners are actually like an elected position, and you can get elected to be your county coroner with like no experience whatsoever, it, which is kind of an interesting thing that I discovered and had no idea about. Um, but in both cases, what they are supposed to do is basically distinguish the cause of death from a very narrow range of options. You know, they have suicide, homicide, unintentional, and natural. And to to the medical examiners, at least, the difference between homicide and accident or homicide and unintentional isn't the same difference that like we tend to think of it as as the public. Like they're not saying homicide as in a legal, we're going to prosecute you for homicide sense. They're saying homicide as in someone, you know, a little human hand pulled the trigger on the gun while it was pointing at another human. And if that is what happened, then they will often count that as a homicide. An accident is something where the gun goes off and nobody was touching it. You know, literally guns don't kill people, people kill people kind of distinction. And 
that is different from the way that the public health researchers who compile all that data that comes from the medical examiners, that's different than the way that they think about it. So the public health researchers tend to think about the difference between unintentional and homicide more the same way that you and I are probably used to thinking about it, that homicide is when you intend to murder somebody and unintentional is when you've accidentally murdered somebody and didn't mean to. And so you have this disconnect between how two different parts of the data collection system are thinking about the data. And both of them have really good cases for why they think about it that way. You know, I originally came into the story thinking that I was going to be like, okay, well, we just change the minds of the medical examiners and everything will be solved. But the medical examiners explained to me that they end up in these really difficult positions because say you have like those two little boys that are playing and one of them shoots the other. Do you know that the 10 year old didn't mean to hurt his brother? How do you prove that? How do you prove that the kid is old enough to know that he shouldn't have pointed the gun at somebody if he didn't mean to hurt them? How do you know that the kid wasn't angry at his brother? What does it mean if the kid was angry at his brother? Does that make it murder? You know, there's all of these questions that kind of are impossible to answer if you're a medical examiner, that you would need to be, you know, some kind of philosopher psychotherapist to actually answer. They don't have those on hand at the CDC, I don't think. Right. Well, they don't have that on hand at your, like, you know, your county, <laughs> your county right. morgue either. So it's, it becomes this situation where defining homicide as a human pulls the trigger that eliminates the question of having to figure out what people intended to do. Then you're not trying to read someone's mind. You're not trying to, you know, parse where in developmental stage this kid was. You just say, did they pull the trigger or not? Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that the um, kind of the legal and the statistical conundrum is, is evident, but I also wonder just like from a policy prevention standpoint, do, are there any implications to this? I mean, if we really were able to agree upon what an accidental death was, would that help us prevent those accidental deaths, which is really kind of the goal? Oh, there's a huge implication to it. I mean, so in 2011, a researcher at Harvard, um, Kathy Barber, did this study that was trying to figure out how off the CDC numbers are. And what she found is that it's likely that the CDC is undercounting the number of accidental deaths that involve children and teenagers and overcounting the number of accidental deaths that involve adults. And overall, overall, the CDC number is actually probably higher than the actual number of accidental deaths, but that varies wildly state by state. And because that varies wildly state by state, and because this problem with recording goes back, you know, basically forever, we don't actually, you know, it it completely screws up our ability to study the effects of gun laws. So if your state put into effect a law meant to prevent accidental deaths, you know, four years ago, five years ago, 
10 years ago. We don't know whether that's working or not because we can't compare it to another state that didn't institute those laws. And we can't. And what does a law at- like that look like? Well, so for instance, um, some of the laws that people have done have involved like gun locks or mandatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, storage laws. So regulating how people store guns, regulating what kinds of technology are attached to guns, so that they're harder to fire if you don't really, really mean it. And they're easier to notice that they have a bullet in the chamber if you aren't intending them to have one. And, you know, just a lot of things that make accidents harder to happen. And those laws have been implemented but it's really difficult to know what they're doing because we don't have accurate numbers on the actual number of deaths. So one thing that comes to mind is because you mentioned how small the number of deaths are in this category, it feels like um, you know a sample size problem as well, which is how much do we trust the numbers? How much do we trust the e- efficacy of any laws? Putting aside even the classification problem, uh, like are there – since this is part of a sort of much bigger conversation about guns that we're trying to have, are there like bigger lessons from this very small sample size of gun deaths? So I think you, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, part of the problem is that in a lot of states, because the numbers, the overall numbers are so small, in a lot of states you can have like, you know, two accidental gun deaths wildly change what the statistics look like for that state. You know, it, it, it doesn't take much to swing the the dial, so to speak, from things looking fine to things looking horrible. Um, I think a couple of things that I took away from this, one of them is that there is a bigger pattern involving reduction in accidental death that's happening. So one of the reasons that the scientists think that the apparent reduction in accidental gun deaths is real is that there's been a reduction in accidental deaths of all kinds. You know, over the last 35 years, the number of accidental fire deaths has fallen, accidental drownings has fallen, accidental um, car crash deaths has fallen, which I think is interesting in that we don't know if there's any reason why they're all tied together. But if you go and look at other categories that are studied in a lot more detail than gun deaths or than, you know, fire deaths are, we know that regulatory laws have played a big role in that. So if you look at car crash, accidental car crash deaths, um, those have plummeted over the last 35 years. And we know why those have plummeted, because in the 1970s, we instituted this incredibly detailed data collection system for every car crash death that happens. You know, when a car crash death happens, scientists told me that we just like descend upon this with data collection and get every piece of information we possibly can out of it. And because of that, we know things like the impact of seatbelt laws, the impact of improved technology and regulations for child safety seats. You know, we know about the impact of drunk driving laws and enforcement of those laws. And those things have all contributed to this massive reduction in car crash deaths. And that matters because in 2003, 
the CDC started a analogous system of data collection for gun deaths, um, the National Violent Death Reporting System. That system is collecting the kind of data that in the future will help us understand exactly how many accidental deaths we have and what reduces them or increases them. But the problem is that it's not in every state. It hasn't been rolled out nationwide. It has only been around in even the states it's been in the longest for less than 15 years. Over time, the problem will you know, get solved and we'll know more. Um, but it's kind of a shame that we didn't do anything like that for gun deaths a long time ago, the same way that we did for car deaths. So I think we'll start to start to wrap up here, but I just also so I I don't know if I was surprised at this, but in so many of the conversations in this series, uh, the kind of media angle keeps coming up, and I guess it says a lot about the fact that often in the media we are not very good about putting stuff in context or uh, or understanding stats and so forth. But what is your thought around? the role of accidental deaths in the media. I mean, if a, you know, when a, when we hear stories all the time about a kid who finds a gun and ends up, you know, shooting themselves or shooting someone else, uh, how sh- what's your advice? Like how should we process a story like that knowing yeah. the statistical context that you just laid out? I understand this this is something I've really struggled with um, in the reporting on this story because I understand why we talk about those deaths a lot why those deaths get a lot of play in the media. You know, they seem like they should be easily preventable. And they're so tragic that they make us terrified and angry, especially in comparison to how preventable we feel like they should be. Um, So I understand why we want to talk about these things. Um, I go back and forth still on whether it makes sense that we spend so much time talking about them in the media. Because the biggest thing is, you know, suicide is the largest proportion of gun deaths in America. And that doesn't get nearly the kind of concern that this tiny, tiny fraction of a tiny, tiny fraction of gun deaths does. I think it's something that I understand and I struggle with and I don't have a good answer for. Right. Well, I mean, that's what makes you a good reporter, right? Is that we don't always <laughs> try and land at these, these answers. But I also think about how, you know, that classic like teachable moment kind of thing. And so when there's a there's a moment like that, we can kind of live in the tragedy and, and our heart can go out. And then we can also say, look this is an opportunity to then talk about the larger context and these other things and, and remind ourselves of the sort of full complexity of the, of this issue. Yeah. And I, I think that one thing I did come away from this again, you know, I have a, a two and a half year old and a, and a one year old. I came away from this with the realization that I don't need to be nearly as worried about them dying from an accidental gun death at a friend's house as I kind of had gotten the impression I needed to be. You know, you can take steps to prevent, but it's also not something that should be, I guess, taking up a huge amount of worry space in my brain. And, you know, when you're a parent, you've got a lot of things to worry about, and there's only so much worry space there. Um, 
All right. Well, Maggie Kurthbaker, thank you uh, for having this conversation. And I'll also say this is the last in this series, so I'll just um, kind of applaud you and your colleagues for, for all this great work. But thanks, thanks again for joining us. Thank you for having me. And that's that for our series of mini conversations about the 538 Guns Project. You can find the whole thing at 538.com slash gun deaths. Thanks to all the writers who participated. Shout out to the designers and the visual journalists who made it look so amazing. It really is beautiful. And special shout out to Simone Landon, who edited the whole project. I spoke to her to kick this series of mini podcasts off, but I didn't mention in that episode that this was basically Simone's last big thing at 538. She is now an editor at Vice. So congrats to her as she starts that new chapter, and what a great, important project for her to go out on here at 538. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another proper episode. No more mini episodes, full episode. My name is Jody Avergan, and we'll see you soon.